Welcome to Fertility Friendly Food. I'm your host, Stephanie Velarkis, accredited practicing dietitian and nutritionist and director of The Dietologist, an Australian-based practice focused on optimizing fertility through nutrition. This podcast will bring you snack-sized episodes for you to learn, grow, and be inspired by the latest research, facts, and practical lifestyle tips about eating well for optimal fertility, helping you cut through the confusion and myths to take back some of the control on your fertility journey, one bite at a time. Welcome back, everyone. I hope you enjoyed last week's endometriosis episode. This week, we are back for part two as part of the mini series on endometriosis for Endo Awareness Month for March. My name is Stephanie Velarkis. I am an expert fertility dietitian and nutritionist and founder of The Dietologist, a virtual practice dedicated to all things nutrition for reproductive health, including endo, fertility, and pregnancy. And I too live with this really annoying disease, endometriosis. So today's episode is all about exploring estrogen when it comes to endometriosis. But before we get stuck into it, I wanted to let you know that we have an on-demand masterclass and e-guide bundle for you, Endo Warrior, our anti-inflammatory eating for endometriosis masterclass bundle. Inside, I dive in deep into this topic, plus a handy downloadable e-guide with a full seven-day anti-inflammatory meal plan for Endo Warriors, complete with recipes and shopping lists. And the masterclass is available to watch wherever you are in the world for just $75 Australian dollars with 10 Australian dollars being donated to the Pelvic Pain Foundation of Australia who do amazing work educating adolescents and children across schools about pelvic pain, pelvic health conditions and endometriosis. So hopefully the next generation have shorter times of diagnosis and live in a society where endometriosis is just generally much more thought about. This masterclass is a fraction of the cost of a one-on-one consult. And let me tell you, we cover this topic of anti-inflammatory eating for endometriosis so regularly in our hour-long consults. So if you're keen to save your spot and learn whilst helping us to give to much-needed endometriosis awareness initiatives, then head to the link in the show notes to secure your spot. Okay, let's get into today's episode. So what is estrogen. Well, estrogen is a steroid hormone predominantly made by the ovaries and it plays many roles in the body, but it's most known for its ability to stimulate the growth of follicles and to help enhance mucus production in the reproductive tract. It typically peaks twice in a menstrual cycle, more so before ovulation and again later in the cycle, but less intensely. So why is estrogen relevant to endometriosis? Well, there seems to be some research linking those with endometriosis having higher circulating estrogen levels. However, it is important to note this does not mean universally every single individual with endometriosis will have quote-unquote high estrogen levels. In fact, you can still have normal and low estrogen levels. It's just more common for them to be elevated. Now, how do you know your estrogen levels are normal? 
The best way to assess estrogen levels is usually via a blood test with your doctor on a specific day of your cycle, usually day three. The tricky thing about estrogen and other hormone measurements is often it is just a picture in time instead of a video rather across a cycle. So this can be misleading and it can be hard to really define what's going on because you're just getting a snapshot in time and we can't see how it's changing over your cycle at all. So clinical history here becomes more relevant. Signs and symptoms such as heavy menstrual bleeding, worsening PMS, headaches, breast tenderness amongst others may be little clues that high estrogen levels alongside your endometriosis may be problematic. So a common question that I'm asked is, is quote unquote estrogen dominance a real thing, a real diagnosis, a real concern? A great question. And I think I have incorporated some content here from Dr. Izzy Smith's Instagram post on this topic. Dr. Izzy is an endocrinology doctor, Aka, a hormone doctor, who we are super excited to be having on a future podcast episode. But I feel like she really sums it up beautifully. So I wanted to recap what she's explained in her post, which I will also link in the show notes for you. So the gist of what Dr. Izzy's post gets at is that there are conditions that are characterized by elevated estrogen and some subsequently low progesterone, such as PCOS, for example, and in some instances, endometriosis too. But there is a lot of misinformation, pseudoscience, unvalidated testing, and BS supplements about estrogen dominance. So the answer is it's not really a diagnosis, but high levels of estrogen might be part of a characterizing feature of some reproductive health conditions. And I think that's really the difference there. How can I support my body's ability to get rid of excess estrogen, which is a awesome question. There are a few key things that may be helpful, but really your first port of call is a medical assessment and a conversation with a specialist doctor in this area, such as an endocrinologist or a gynecologist or reproductive endocrinologist or fertility specialist. So there are a few lifestyle things that may be relevant, but they're not really going to have a humongous impact immediately. And I think that's really important to keep top of mind when we're thinking about lifestyle strategies for any kind of management. So the first thing is to avoid excess exposure to xenoestrogen, such as endocrine disrupting chemicals. So we've talked about this in depth with Lucy Lyons, fertility educator and embryologist from Two Lines Fertility in a previous episode. So head on back to that episode and give it a listen. But a quick snapshot. Endocrine disrupting chemicals are found in a variety of places, including our food packaging, our containers, our water bottles, um, our cosmetics, our cleaning supplies, our hair care, our makeup, our perfume really, and they're almost everywhere. And that can be really overwhelming to have a think about. And what's important here is that we can manage the controllable or control the controllable. We're not going to be able to avoid all endocrine disrupting chemicals forever, um, but we can certainly minimize how much we're exposing ourselves to them in our own home environment and make better choices there. So some easy tips that I always give our clients on the food front is switching your water bottle to a stainless steel or glass bottle, reheating your food in a ceramic plate or in a glass container instead, and also 
keeping an eye on food packaging and how often you're using foods in food packaging and trying to make changes there as well. So it might mean going to a bulk health food store and popping things in jars or brown paper bags or decanting your food from plastic packaging into glass jars when you get home, for example. The next strategy to help get rid of excess estrogen, which has only really been studied really in postmenopausal um, women, which is interesting, is cruciferous vegetables. So your cruciferous or brassica vegetables are things like broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, kale, and bok choy. And these vegetables contain a particular antioxidant called indole-3-carbonyl, and indole-3-carbonyl may help the liver's ability to do step one of the estrogen um, removal process. And so there has been some research to show that higher intakes of cruciferous vegetables can help with estrogen removal. How high is high enough? We don't really know um, how often and how many, how much gram amount of those vegetables you need to consume. We don't really know. And that is really the state of play in a lot of nutrition research in this space. But it might be worthwhile to incorporate some more cruciferous veggies. The next one is regular bowel motions. Now, if you're not pooping regularly, this can be problematic when it comes to estrogen metabolism because excess estrogen leaves the body via the bowels. And so if you're getting really constipated, for example, this can lead to issues of excess estrogen being stuck in the stool and there's a risk of the reactivation of that deactivated estrogen in the gut by enzymes called beta-glucuronidase, which are produced by the gut, some gut bacteria. So there is a link there between estrogen and gut health, which I've elaborated on on episode 10 in season one. It's called, um, is there such a thing as the gut hormone axis or something along those lines? So if you want to explore that topic, head on back. Now, the last uh, topic that I thought I'd touch on when it comes to estrogen and endometriosis is whether soy foods are hurtful or helpful. And it has been a really contentious area when it comes to people's opinions. So the state of play is that Soy foods such as tofu, soy milk, and mame and tempeh contain phytoestrogens, which are actually incredibly good for us in many contexts. And phytoestrogens are the natural plant-based estrogens which weakly bind our estrogen receptors and can exert a weak hormonal effect. Now, this might seem logically like an absolute nightmare because if you have endometriosis and you know for certain that you have excess circulating estrogen, why would adding more fuel to the fire, so to speak, be helpful? Well, the there is a theory that potentially soy foods have a quote-unquote buffering effect when it comes to estrogen. That is, people that have high circulating estrogen levels, when they include more phytoestrogen-rich foods such as soy, that those phytoestrogens, because they more weakly bind the estrogen receptors, have less of an impact compared to the biological estrogen, helping to blunt the symptoms and effects. And for those who have low levels of estrogen, such as postmenopausal, phytoestrogens can help to be as a weak replacement of 
the estrogen and can help blunt some of the symptoms of menopause, for example, hot flushes. And so there is this idea that potentially incorporating soy foods can help have a buffering effect when it comes to estrogen levels, which is super, super interesting, but certainly an emerging area of research. So that is a wrap on part two of the endometriosis mini series. And next week is the third and final part. And I'll be sharing my top nutrition and lifestyle tips for those of us who are so lucky to have both endometriosis and irritable bowel syndrome or IBS. So come back and tune into next week's episode to learn more. Don't forget to sign up for our anti-inflammatory eating masterclass on demand. I cannot wait to see you there. The link is in the show notes below. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and use the new rating feature on Spotify as well. This helps us out so much. And don't forget to share it with a family member, friend or colleague as well. And let's make Fertility Friendly Food the number one fertility and reproductive health nutrition podcast together. Until next week, everyone. Bye. (laughs) 